Tomorrow, remember, is Pentecost. Uh, we'll have two services. First service will begin at 10.30 a.m. 10.30 Anatoth time. <laughs> and 2.30 in the afternoon. So all come smiling, ready to be fed. And who knows? Maybe will be like, was there an axe, you know? Which leads me into what I'm going to say. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts 2, verse 1. This is speaking of tomorrow, and, and it's a memorial of actually what happened and what will happen in the future. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's interesting to think about that. God had people at one place, and they had the same mind and the same attitude and the same thoughts. But we might say, well, you know, here's a group of people. 120. They'd been with Christ for three and a half years. They spent three and a half years with Christ. They ate with Him. They walked with Him. They rode boats with Him. They slept. They talked. All these things for three and a half years. They were there when He was betrayed, taken down, beaten, stuck on a stake, Watched him bleed. Watched him stick a, st- a stake, I mean, a spear in his side, and the blood and the water come out, and the man died. Christ, Emmanuel, died. They were there. They were eyewitnesses of that. So yes, they could be of one accord, couldn't they? It wasn't but a few days later. Three days later, they spoke with him. Well, that would be really fantastic. Wouldn't we be so changed in our life if we were standing there and saw our Savior die and three days later talk to Him? And for the next 40 days, on and off, He talked to them. They put their fingers in the holes in His, finger, you know, in his hands and said, Chef, He's got... Has to be our Savior, the one who died. So could these people then be in one place with the same mind? And we can say, because they had Emmanuel with them. They knew it. They saw it. No wonder they could be with the same mind. They understood that. But what about us? Do we have that same perspective of our Creator, of Emmanuel, of the Father, that those 120 people had. Can we do that? Can we have that? Can we be at one accord because we have that same perspective? Well, I don't think we can until we know what He's like. You know, they knew what he was like. 
They heard him say, I of myself can do nothing. What the Father shows me, that I do. They heard that. Did you hear it? Well, we've been at opportunities over some of us 50 years, some 40, 20, 10, you know, how many other years it's been for us. But do we know what our Creator is like? Do we know how He thinks? And do we understand what He wants from us? Because there's a lot that God and Emmanuel expect from us. Let's take a look, first of all, what our God is like. What is He like? Well, we heard somewhat in the sermonette what He's like. He is almighty. No limitations, is there? He has no limitations. Go to Job 38. Job chapter 38. Here was a man who had a lot of pride, didn't he? A man that he thought he was walking with God. He lived these ways. He was just, man, I am the best. He went through a lot of suffering, though, didn't he? Poor guy. He uh, took a lot for him to uh, find out who was really like what God was like, wasn't it? Can you imagine having to have boils on your feet so you can't stand? On your bottom end that you can't sit, on your stomach or your back that you can't lay. You can't put your hands down because you have boils everywhere and boils hurt. I mean, they really hurt. I've had one or two. I didn't have maybe hundreds like Job had. But Job thought he knew the answers, and he accused God from time to time. Because, hey, I'm a good person. I go to Sabbath services. I sit in the chair. I hear sermons. I pray every day. I fast, like some of the Pharisees used to say, you know. I fast twice a week. Well, most of us fast every night, don't we? Whenever we go eat our last meal until we get up in the morning. So we can say we fast every day. But are we really recognizing our Father? Job 38, verse 1. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? <laughs> what if God said that to you on the day of Pentecost? Remember these people, Israel as a nation, standing at the base of this mountain that's on fire, and they hear coming from that mountain, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they quaked, and they quivered, and they were scared to death. So scared they said to Moses, you talk to God, and then you talk to us. But we don't want God to talk to us anymore. We can't stand it. Are we ready for Pentecost to have the Almighty God, speak to us? I mean, what would we do? Would we shake in our boots? Or would we be awestruck and say, thank you, I'm here to learn. But Job 
Finally, after going through all that he did, all this dissertation with his friends, finally God speaks to him out of the whirlwind and asks him, Who are you that speaks without knowledge? In other words, God wants us to know who he is. Do we understand who God is? His power. He is omnipotent. He has all the power of everything. And he says to Job, Gird up your, now your loins like a man, and I will demand of you and answer you me. And then he goes through and tells him what he did. All the things that God did. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of this universe? Did I ask you? Did I counsel you? Can you imagine God speaking to you and saying, okay, now you tell me where man came from. Or better yet, tell me where this planet Earth came from. Okay, it came from a star passing another star and it pulled off some stuff. Well, where did those two stars come from? Well, they, they just seem to come together someplace. Well, where did that come from? So it's what God's asking. Where did all this stuff come from? You have no knowledge, do you? You can't tell me what is gravity, yet it affects everything the same way. A little back years ago, they had an idea coming out of some of the colleges that there's nothing definite. And I said, well, if I put this book and drop it, it's going to fall. You can't guarantee that. Well, God says he can because he created gravity. Because we talk sometimes when we don't have the knowledge. Just like Job, we've been spewing out things all of our life, and we really don't know, do we? (laughs) Because we don't know our Creator. In Psalm 24, here David apparently understood what about God. He knew understood how God's power is. David writes in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's. The earth belongs to God. David said, hey, I understand. This planet that I walk on, which I'm confined to, belongs to God. And the fullness, everything that's there, everything on this planet belongs to God. The world and they that dwell therein. Ah. He said, I am so powerful You belong to me. So we want to be unified. We have to come to understand we belong to God. He made us. How did he do that? Do we speak like Job and not having knowledge? Again in chapter 50 of Psalm, verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10. David again speaks. Every beast of the forest is mine. So this is a God, a creator. Now, we've got to come and understand that God says every beast of the forest is mine. They belong to me. The cattle upon a thousand hills, they're his too. Yet he allows us to, back in the time of Israel, to sacrifice one of his animals, they were able to sacrifice an animal to pay for a sin. 
to try to cover up one mistake. I know all the fowls of the mountains. Well, what kind of power, what kind of a being can look out there and say, I know every fowl, every bird. You know, once in a while you see birds in a migration. There might be a thousand of them in there. God knows those plus all the, all the other birds. He knows all of them. They belong to him. The, the wild beasts of the forest are mine. If I were hungry, I would not ask you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Again, he emphasizes. David was able to understand Almighty God, the power and source of the universe, owns everything. We have to get that perspective that we cannot control God. But we can go to Him and He can show us things because it's His anyway. We operate on His time frame. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe because we're proud and arrogant sometimes and think that we can do it all. I know every answer of everything. Just come to me and ask. But here in John chapter 1, we find out that our Creator and our Savior are one. In John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word. In the very beginning, before there was a planet, before there were these two stars that people want to think past each other and suck material off of each other and then they finally start whirling around and became planets or whatever, said before all that, says, I was the Word. I was there. And the Word was with God. We're saying that now there are two beings. And the Word was God. So, here we find there are two beings, two gods, and it was there in the very beginning. How powerful, how almighty, how great is our Creator. Do we really grasp and understand how great He is? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. We make cars, we make trains, we make great big monstrous machines that can scoop up 50 yards of material in one scoop. But God made our Creator so powerful, so mighty, so great, that He made trillions of tons of dirt. This planet. And not only did He that, but He made it so that it would maintain human life. Again in Psalm verse 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. We read David saying again, inspired. And you might say that these are Christ's words inspired into David to speak. So by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That is phenomenal, isn't it? He just has to breathe these things out. He speaks, and it happens. 
Do we understand how great our God is? If we're going to be unified, we really have to comprehend that fact. That we can't give God anything but ourselves and our willingness to change. But he gives us everything. Everything we need. Sometimes we think we can go out and do our own thing. Like we heard in Sermonette, we hear being pride and, and homosexuality or bestiality or whatever it might be. We want to do our stuff in the dark, don't we? Humanity does. And we think we can go out and hide from this Creator God who created all this stuff. We want to unify, but then again, we want to try to hide ourselves from God, don't we? We want to try to find places we can go. Psalm 139, verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1. David speaking again. O Lord, you have searched me. Now here, David understood that God can search and look down deep. Do we know that? Do we really believe that God can penetrate your thought patterns? Penetrates it. He understands it. He said, you search me and know me. God knows you. He said he knows every hair in your head. He must really know you as an individual. He singled you out. He knows you. He knows what you're made of. You know my downsitting and my uprising. You understand my thoughts are far off. Are our thoughts God's thoughts? No. His thoughts are certainly much higher than ours. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, said, God searches the reins of our hearts. He knows you. We need to learn to realize that we can't hide ourselves from what God can do or from his abilities. He looks at you. He knows you. He puts you where you are today. You're not here because you are the best of this world. You're not here because you're here to save your your hide. How many times have we said in this little group that we are no more than a setup group? God knows that. That's why you're here. You're not here because you're the greatest engineer, you're the greatest mathematician, or the greatest chemist, or the greatest doctor, or the greatest financier. You know, we've got a lot of those people. We can look at those that run many big corporations that have a whole lot more in that ability than we'll ever have. So you're not here because of that. So you can't hide yourself from God because I'm just the weak in the base. No. Jeremiah 23. Here God is saying, you need to recognize how great my power is. You think you can do a lot, but let me tell you, verse, chapter, verse 24, chapter 23 of Jeremiah, can any hide himself in a secret place that I shall not see him? 
He kind of laughs at us. He says, I'll show you how my power is. Can you go off and hide someplace that I can't see you? No, I can find you. I know who you are. I want you. I'm going to use you. Do not I fill heaven and earth? I have heard what the prophets said. So we hear prophets prophesy. And they make prophecies of what they think they think or want to think or might think or possibly could be. He says, I know what they're saying. They're lying. They lie. God knows when someone prophesies who thinks he's got it made, who thinks he's the greatest and he can make all these statements, he knows them. We can't hide from that. But we want to, don't we? Hebrews 4, verse 13. Hebrews 4, verse 13. As a person, as a human being, we think we can do so much and we don't need God, but yet He is so powerful. We have to come, if we're going to be unified, come to that recognition that God knows all things. Hebrews 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. There isn't a creature that God can't pick out if He wants to, no matter what you think, how you think. Our God is so powerful, so mighty, that He wants us to be a part of what He's doing. And He chose us to do that. And so He's telling us that, he, that even the creatures can't hide from Him. But all things are naked and open in His eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So God looks at you and says, hey, you're naked. Yeah, we've got clothes on. It would be probably scary if we were all walking around without clothes on, but God sees us. When He says He sees them naked, He sees your thoughts. He sees your actions. You can't hide from Him, can you? Can you go to your house when nobody else is around and do whatever you want and say, nobody will know that. You know? God's going to make every sin you make. Everything you do is going to be manifested. And in his sight, he sees it. He understands those things, doesn't he? Another aspect of the Almighty God, the great powerful God, that we have to really comprehend, and maybe we don't fully understand that, is that he wants you to be a part of what he's doing, and so he paid a price. Mr. Armstrong used to talk about a world held captive, didn't he? The whole world is held captive. By who? Satan. By man's wanting to take and eat of the knowledge of good and evil, devoid of God. Now, we don't want to go to God. He created man and a woman and put them in a beautiful garden, gave them everything they needed, and wanted to teach them the right way to go. But ever since then, we all decide for ourselves, well, maybe God doesn't know as much as we think. 
know, because we don't really grasp how powerful he is. And yet, he says, I want to give you everything, but we want to say, we want to do it ourselves. So God made a plan. And that was to pay the price to bring those people back to him. When Israel came out of Egypt, what happened? God sacrificed a whole nation, the nation of Egypt, for Israel, didn't he? He took care of them. He protected them. Brought them up to the mountain. And they turned their back on him. Well, what about us? Just as Israel had a penalty paid or a redemption price, you know, when you kidnap somebody, they always say, well, you want the people back, you're going to have to pay a penalty for it or a price. And for the nation of Israel, it was a whole nation of Egypt, including the army who came to go across the sea to get them and were swallowed up in the water. But for us, we had a greater price paid. A greater price was paid for us. Matthew chapter 20. What price was paid? How great is God, our Father? What power, what understanding has He have? How great is he? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to uh, be, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Here God is saying, I am so good so great, so powerful, that I know how to rescue my children. And I'm going to do that by giving up everything, walking the earth as a human being, so that they can be unified. And I will give myself. I, myself, he said, will pay the penalty. I will give myself as a ransom. First Timothy 2. First Timothy 2. Verse 5. First Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Emmanuel, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Again, pointing out that there are two gods with one idea, with one way of life, unifying. The day of Pentecost speaks of the first fruits. The first fruits are unified. If we're going to be first fruits, we have to be unified. We have to understand how great God is and what price He paid for that unity. He gave Himself for that. Verse 14 of chapter 2, I mean of Titus, Titus 2, verse 14. Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity, all those sins that we do. You know, Peter says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are huge sins, aren't they? That's human. And Christ, Emmanuel says, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us to pay that penalty and purify unto himself a peculiar people. And notice what it says, zealous of good works. So it takes something on our part, doesn't it? Was it James who said, you show me your works without faith and I'll show you my works by my faith. And Abraham showed his works by or his faith by what he did and how he followed things. Emmanuel, our God, is so loving, so fantastic, that he was willing to give up eternity for you and for me. We want to be unified, don't we? We have to understand. We have to be ready to follow his steps to do those same things. To be unified with our Father. In 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, with goats or cows or meat offerings or whatever, so you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions of your, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Emmanuel as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. When Emmanuel walked this earth, He had to live a life dedicated to God. He stayed unified. We need to unify ourselves with each other and specifically with God. If we're going to be a part of what he's doing, we've got to be unified, don't we? We've got to do those things that he has done. Another aspect of the, of the greatness and the power and the might of our Creator that helps us to be unified is that He is our protector. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt, they were there between two mountains and a body of water in front of them. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go to the right or the left. And there was an army ready to slaughter them behind so they couldn't go back. They were kind of caught in a, between a rock, a couple rocks and a hard place. But God is our protector. So no matter what comes down at us, if we come to understand how powerful, how great, how loving He is, He promises He will protect you. So what happened? 
He opened up the Red Sea. They walked through. He protected them, didn't he? Because the army then was swallowed up. What's going to happen in the end time? Are we fearful that the nations are going to come in? Our country, this nation of Ephraim will come down. The enemies will come in. People will be living in big cities and without food. They're going to have to eat their own children to survive. Are we fearful that we're going to die too? He says in Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, verse 15, Satan knows you too. He knows where the church is. And he's got an ability, or it has an ability to to get a whole flood. Flood, talking about a massive army, a flood of people going to come after the church. And the Satan cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, the woman being the church. Those that have recognized and become unified with the Father, here's Satan's casting a flood out after them. Do we fear that we're going to be taken in that flood and killed and taken down? That it might carry her away in the flood. And notice what our Creator's doing. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. God says, I am going to protect you. Is he that powerful? Do we really believe he's that powerful? Can the enemies of anyone bring anything on you? Only if you're not unified with the Father and with Christ. And so if we're going to be unified together as people, we have to be unified with the Father too, don't we? And with Christ. And he says, he will protect you. He has that kind of power. It's not a problem. With God, it's not a problem. With me, with you, it's a problem. And we get all bent out of shape sometimes because we don't think that we can make it. But God says, it's not a problem. John chapter 17. There's a group of people that were there on the day of Pentecost unified. They walked and talked and did all these things. In John chapter 17, this is Christ's final prayer. He said, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I have protected them. Remember what he said to Peter? Satan wants to sift you like sand. Well, I wouldn't let him. If God can protect Peter, if God could protect those people, Remember Saul who went out to destroy the church? He went out to destroy the church. How did God protect him? He knocked Saul to the ground, made him blind, humbled him by bringing him to one of the people that he was out there to bring to, to trial 
and to kill, made him go to him and ask him to help him see again, to actually, actually see the Creator God. So God protected the church there, didn't he? Protected Paul through his life. We turn over there to John 17 again because there's another scripture. Another verse I wanted to read there. Um, Where he says he prayed for them, prayed for the people, the disciples that were there, Um, verse 20. Is God going to protect you and me? Can we be unified like those people that were together on the day of Pentecost in Acts 1? He says in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone. He says, I'm not praying, Father, just for these people that have been with me and that walked and talked with me but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. So we can be unified and we can recognize the greatness and the power of our Father because Christ said that he prayed that we would understand these things through the words of those that he gave through the Scriptures. And again we're told in Scripture I think it's Peter or, or James that what's in this book came to us not because their thoughts, their own ideas, but as holy men were moved by the Spirit of God, we have this book. So we can be unified on the Day of Atonement because Christ asked the Father that if we will just listen. He is that powerful that he was able to keep this book printed for mankind from the very time of Moses. And it was handed down hand to mouth up to that time. And probably some of it was written down too. So we can be unified when we finally come to the total reality of how great and powerful our God is. He provides us with this information through those people that he inspired to write. Our God is so great, he's so powerful, that he is our shield. He shields us. Zechariah chapter 2. Verse, um, that verse 5. For I said, the Lord will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Our God's going to shield us. He's going to shield us from the things around if we are at one with Him. 
if we are not trying to hide from God. Because, you know, you can't anyway. You have to understand, you have to realize those things. He has that kind of power that he will protect you. He's going to put a shield around us. When those armies come into this world, into this country, you will be protected. He has that kind of power. He's going to put a covert over us so that we're not going to be worried about the heat or the rain or the cold. He's going to protect you. He says he can do that. He is our protector. And another aspect of our God, the greatness of our God, the power, the might, how he is so almighty, all-powerful, he is our healer. He heals not only our physical bodies, our physical sicknesses, but he can heal our minds too. And sometimes we don't grasp how much our minds go astray, but he can heal our sicknesses. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. And his fame went out through Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken of diverse diseases and torments, and those that were torn with devils, and those that were lamesick, and those that had palsy. And it says he healed them. He says he can heal people. Sometimes we don't, maybe we don't really grasp that as a fact. Remember the king of Israel that didn't believe that? Hurt himself, hurt himself in his feet. Sent off to Baal to get healed. Went to the doctors of the world. And the prophet came and said, Elijah, said, is there no God in Israel that you go someplace else to be healed? Do we go someplace else to heal our minds or to heal our bodies? God can heal you. It just takes faith. James 5 says, the prayer of the faithful shall save the sick. Tells us there also that we call on the elders and be anointed and call on God and say, I need your help. I need you to heal me. He has that kind of power. It's not a problem for God. But maybe it is because we don't really know our God well enough to grasp that he has these kind of powers. You ask, he can do it. So whatever you ask in my name, he'll do it. If you have faith, if you understand, if you trust him, if you know God and how powerful he is. So we go to the day of Pentecost. Do we really know God? Do we know him enough to say, we can have the same powers happen to us that happened in that day of Pentecost in 31, 30, or 31 A.D. 
because he has that power. No limitations to God. There's absolutely no limitations to God's ability or power. But mankind can put limitations on God. We can look out there and say, well, you know, he might heal a cold, but can he heal cancer? Um, he can help me in my financial problems when I just have to get a few bills paid, but can he help me when we're really at a dire straits and we see the nation or the state or the county coming after us? Can he protect us there? Can he heal our sickness? Can he heal our mind? Can he heal our, our unity? Do we believe he can do those things? 1 Peter 2, verse 24. No, I've already read that one. Well, I've got that in twice. In Exodus 15, we'll go to Exodus 15, verse 26. Exodus 15, verse 26. And he, God, said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. He gave qualifications, though, didn't he? He said, I can heal. I can do these things. I'm ready to do it. I have that kind of power. But you have something to do, too. Keep my commandments, my statutes, my judgments. But we like to change those statutes and judgments because they don't seem to fit what I want to do. How many times have we heard God is going to keep a remnant? How big is that remnant? Probably about 10% of the church or people. Going to keep about 10% of the world. Part of God's statutes are, He said, I am God. I don't change. What I did yesterday, I do tomorrow. And I do it today. I don't change. So he gave us statutes and judgments. He's going to do those tomorrow. We know he emphasized that in Zechariah when he says, in the world tomorrow they're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So if he's bringing these things out and he tells us that we should bring tithes and offerings, did he change? Someplace down the line? Is he going to only say that's only good for yesterday and tomorrow, but today you can do your own thing? Is he limited in doing it? No. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the beginning and the end. I created everything. I am all powerful. So why do we want to take and get the diseases that are brought upon this nation because this nation has turned their back on their Creator God. He gave us a, 
a beautiful nation. We've heard this. Uh, we've gone through the sermons uh, series on uh, Abraham, or going back to the fathers, rather, and talks about God giving to this Ephraim a land that flows with milk and honey. No place on the earth like this. A land that's vast in size, that's made up of a multitude of nations. You know, 50 nations that get together, that started out unified somewhat under God, but now have split apart and doing their own thing. So no wonder we have diseases. We have diseases and pestilence in all areas of our society that we just are not willing to look at. We don't care what it is, whether it's agriculture or our cities, you know, Deuteronomy 28, it goes into all of that. Deuteronomy 28 says, if you will obey me, I will give you everything. On the other hand, if you do your own thing, I will take it all away from you. <laughs> do we really know that God will take it away from you? Do you understand that if we don't become unified with the Father, He can take us away. We have, the only guarantee that we have is if we will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord our God. That's the guarantee. If we don't, we got another guarantee that he'll put the diseases of this world on us and he'll take everything away from us. And we see this country going down because we have turned our back. And what happened to the church? Each one of us was part of the, of the church that God formed and brought together underneath Herbert Armstrong. And we went down the line. And somewhere down the line, we just started taking it easy, didn't we? We started doing our own thing we forgot how great God was. His awesome power, which commands us to respect Him. His power, His abilities, commands our respect. And if we don't, then we're going to suffer with the rest of the world in tribulation. It's just, He promises if we will diligently hearken, He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will heal you. He will redeem you. These are promises. And He doesn't go back on His promises. But we have to diligently hearken to our Creator. So, to become unified, we first have to know our God. We really have to know Him. It's hard to be unified together if you don't grasp His awesome power, His ability, His love, His willingness to give up eternity for you, and your willingness to make a change. How does God think then? So the second part that I've got here is how does God think? Isaiah 55. How does God think about things? 
Well, I kind of touched on it a little bit, but Isaiah 55, verse 7. God thinks that, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is what our God thinks, if we will just change our attitudes, our ways, and come to him and listen to what he has to say, he says, his thoughts are, I will pardon you. Because I love you that much. For, he says, in verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts are the fantastically larger picture than what we most of the time comprehend. The big picture. Not just me getting to become the bride. Not just you becoming part of the bride. Not just this remnant or the 144,000 being the bride and being the ones making the life. But the big picture is a unified society of God beings that stretches over the whole universe. It's beyond our little thoughts. Because we're tied here to this earth. We can't go away from the earth. Even though we sent astronauts to the moon, they never left the earth because they were totally encased with earth and earth atmosphere. They were in a bubble standing on another planet, but they couldn't live without this planet. Because if you open that suit up and drop the air that they had around them, they were gone. So our picture is we're stuck on this planet in this little society and we worry about our church and whether the church is going to come together or whether the church is going to be great. The big picture is that God is going to have a society of God beings that will live unified. No more war, no more famine, no more crime, no more homosexuality or bestiality or pride. And we know pride is a problem that Halel had. It's what took him down. His pride took him down. He thought he was better than God. And he's going to wind up being nothing. Being stuck out in a black hole someplace. Never to be around beings again. But we're kind of caught in this box, aren't we? We have a time we live and a time we die. We're stuck with a box. We can't see beyond, most of the time, beyond this box. We can't see the vastness that God has. But God's thoughts are farther reaching than what ours are. It's not just you and me. It's not just our little group or the church. It goes beyond that to the nation and to humanity, to the 
every human being that had, a lot, had an opportunity to live is going to be given an opportunity to be a part of that. And if they don't want to be, they'll be taken out. Because God is not going to have a disorganized, confused place in the future. His mind is far beyond that. That's the way he thinks. How do we think? What's our thoughts? He wants us to have his thoughts, to be unified. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be you perfect. His thoughts are, we are to become perfect. Too often we sit and we don't go beyond part of that being perfect. We don't grasp what it means to be perfect. He wants us to get that big picture. Become perfect. Takes effort. Takes energy. It takes a willingness to say, forgive me. I'm wrong. Help me. I want to think like you think, Father. I want to think like Emmanuel thinks. Matthew 5, verse 48, again, it's telling us, Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Because that's what God thinks. He thinks of things being perfect. In Luke 6, 36, he thinks, Be you, there, uh, be you therefore merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. So, God's thoughts are becoming merciful. Somebody does me wrong, I want to come back at them. Huh? Is that mercy? Then he say to the scribes and Pharisees, you, you don't have what it takes. Justice, or judgment, mercy, and faith. That's God's thoughts. Right judgment, Right mercy. I mean, God, our God is a very merciful God. <laughs> we had, what, three or four sermons where Gordon went over how merciful our God is. That's God's thoughts are merciful. God's thoughts are in First Peter 1, verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16. God's thoughts are, But as he which has called you is holy, God is holy, he's a holy God, so be you holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be you holy, for I am holy. That's God's thoughts. That's what God thinks about. People being holy. The big picture. Not just a little tiny corner of this planet of a group of people that might be able to go to some place and you'll have to protect them by opening up 
causing an earthquake to keeping the army or whatever it takes. No. He thinks of us becoming holy people. Psalm 106, verse 3. Psalm 106, verse 3. God thinks that blessed are they that keep judgment. Again, brings out judgment. And he that does righteousness at all times. Because God is righteous. So he's thinking of a society that is righteous, unified, together. We've got to get his thoughts because he wants more than just you and me. He wants more than a handful of people. He wants all humanity to change, to think like he thinks, to respond like he responds. Our God has a bigger mind, as he said, his thoughts go so far out, so much greater than our thoughts. Psalm 40, verse 5, Psalm 40, verse 5. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts which are to us word. See, God's thoughts are toward us. He's toward you. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about the church. He's thinking about what's going to occur in the tribulation. He's thinking about what's going to occur after the tribulation. His thoughts are great. And your thoughts which you have toward us, they can not be reckoned up in order unto you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. She just can't number all of what God is thinking about. Didn't they say about Emmanuel, if they were to write everything that Emmanuel did, which would bring in his thoughts and how he did everything, there wouldn't be enough books to hold everything. There wouldn't be enough books. He just gives us enough that he can tell us, this is what I want. Get the big picture. Go beyond self. Go beyond who you are. Because God wants more and thinks about a whole lot more than just a few human beings. Well, he understands he's got to do a lot of things and he's thinking about how he has to do that. Look at Job's life, what God had to do there. Remember? He brought Job up to Halel, to Satan, the devil. Do you see my servant, Job? 
See, God's thoughts were to help Job. And to help you, and to help me, and to help this nation, and to help humanity. So he took one man and had a problem. And his thoughts were, if I can expand on that, if I can show them what I'm thinking about, and then he comes and gets Job down to the final point and says, Job, you're not thinking enough. You don't think what I think. How, where, where's the whirlwind come from? Where did the planet, where did, what's going to be the end result? I'm thinking about those things. That's what God does. Do we think on a daily basis of what's going to be the end result? The big picture. Unity in the world. Unity in the galaxies. No more disruption, no more upside-down things. That's God's picture. God expects us to go beyond our own personal ideas. We have to capture God's thoughts. We have to capture what He's doing in Psalm 92, verse 5. Psalm 92, verse 5. O Lord, how great are Your works, and Your thoughts are very deep. So He's getting down and getting to the very bottom, the nitty-gritty of everything. He thinks about the finite details. You can go into a place, I've tried that yesterday where we were. I thought, maybe I need to take and try to see everything in here and see what it's, see if I can remember what it is. God does. He can focus his mind and his thoughts down to the smallest details and make sure they're right. He can plan it so far in advance because like it says, Emmanuel was killed from creation, wasn't he? He was, the thoughts were, I mean they're so far ahead of us, they already planned what happens if this happens, if this happens, if this happens. He planned this all out ahead of time. So he thinks a lot farther than we do. I know I get up in the morning and I might think of what's going to be the next thing I do this morning. I don't think what's going to happen at the end of the day is hard enough to think what's going to happen in the next five minutes. But with God, he already knows because he's already thought about how to make things work out for what he wants. Our God is so powerful, He wants us to be unified. He first wants us to grasp how great and powerful He is. And then He wants us to think on His level. Not just our level, but to think on His level, what He gets to think about. So if we're going to be unified, we have to, first of all, understand... God's abilities. That there's nothing greater than our Creator. There is nothing been done more honorable than what our God and our Creator 
And the two gods did for their plan, which they've got planned out so far in advance. The big picture, you know, they thought about it. There's nothing greater than our Creator God. And all that we have should bring honor and praise and glory to our God. We need to give Him all our respect and all of our, our, all of our praise needs to go up to our Creator God. For the breath we take, for the food we eat, for the houses we live in, for the place that we live, for our life. We owe everything to our Creator. And we need to think like He thinks. We want to be unified. We have to think like He thinks. In the third area, what do we do? Does He expect something from you? Do we have to do something? Verse I cover probably a lot. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah 66, 2. For all these things has my hand made. So God is saying, right there in that verse, I am Creator. I've done everything. And these things have been, says the Eternal. But to this man will I look. This is where I am going to look. This is something that you and I can do. To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and a contrite spirit and trembles at my words. Sometimes we have trouble trembling trembling at God's word, don't we? Because it don't fit the way I want to live. It might be too hard. You don't want us to be filled with pride, lust, greed, vanity, pride of life, you know. Let's just get rid of all that kind of stuff. We have to become humble and tremble at what He has put here. Remember, as I said before, that this is God's Word that He gave to you and to me and to mankind through individuals that He singled out who were willing to tremble at His Word, who were willing to listen, who were willing to humble themselves, and He let them write this down, and then He preserved it through His power and His might for us so that we know how He thinks and His power and what He wants us to do. Do we tremble at this word? Do we tremble when we hear a sermon that tells us we have to make changes? Or do we blow it off? What God expects from you and from me and from humanity is to tremble at His word. Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. David writes, speaking as Christ would speak, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He's nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. 
one that has got down and says, I am nothing without God. I want to think like he thinks. I want to honor him and give him all glory and respect in every area of my life. That's who God's going to take care of. 51, verse 17. 51, verse 17 of Psalms. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That's what he wants you to do. Give up self. I once had a man tell me, ask him, how, how, how can you get up there and speak in front of people? And he said, because you're not speaking to people, you're speaking to God. When you pray, you're not praying to so someone else can hear your words. You're praying because you're talking to the ever-living, all-powerful, almighty creator God, and you're honoring him and asking him for help. You have to humble yourself to that point. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Again, stressing who he is. His power, his might, his greatness. He, he inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place with him that, has, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. He wants to dwell with you, but you have to have a contrite and humble spirit. You cannot go out there and fight God and win. To re- revere the spirit of the humble and to revere the heart of the contrite ones. God wants to be a part of your life. But you have to do something to earn that. You have to make changes in your life. What can you do? Galatians 5.22, we go over that many times, the fruits of the Spirit. These are things you can do. You can put love in your life. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, Meekness, temperance against such, there is no law. That's what God wants from you. You have to work at those things. You have to put that in your life. We want to be unified. We want to be a part of what God is doing. We want to be there on the day of Pentecost. Try to imagine in your heart, in your mind, there was these 120 people there in Acts on the day of Pentecost. These individuals knew their Creator. They knew what He thought. They were unified. And on that day, God sent His Spirit down to enter into those people. And they, at that time, received God's Holy Spirit. You've been baptized. You've had hands laid on You've asked God to be with you, to fill you, to give His Spirit in you. You have as much Spirit as Christ had, as those apostles had. What you lack is exercise. 
We want to be a part of the family of God. We want to be unified. We have to exercise that spirit that God gave to you. Exercise it and exercise it. Just like you building up muscles in your arms and your feet and your back, you exercise. If you want to be unified, you have to be exercising that spirit that God gives to you. So keep it in mind, God wants you to be unified. His thoughts are so far advanced from ours. His power, His greatness is so far above us. He's such an awesome Creator God. He wants you to be a part of what He's doing. Exercise that spirit that He gave to you. Thank <clears throat> you.